0: Hi, I'm Mike Morse. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. This time we are back in the office. I'm super excited to be back here in our studio that we built for Open Mic. We have a heartbreaking tale today. It's another wrongful conviction case. This time we have Julie Balmeron, who served four years and a couple months in prison for a crime she absolutely did not commit. And we have with her Sarah Miller, who is a juror in her second trial to talk about that trial, to talk about their friendship since this all went down. And I'm super excited to have both Julie and Sarah on Open Mic, welcome ladies. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one on one my whole career. What you're going to hear. got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're gonna hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. Hi.
0: Hi. Don't be shy. Are you shy? No. Okay. Good. You don't seem shy. No. So, look, you guys, I know you your fans open mic and you've watched the episodes. We talked about that before we came on and you know, I've I've it's probably been almost a year that I've been involved in researching and talking to people who've been wrongly accused and wrongly incarcerated for many years. And Uh, We've done lots of episodes since then to try to dissect it, to try to figure out what's going on. We've had prosecutors on, we've had other jurors on, we've, we're trying to get to the bottom of all this, but it is absolutely heartbreaking. Your story is heartbreaking, Julie. Um, Anybody who's heard your story, um, if they have a feeling bone in their body, has to feel for you and feel that our system is broken. So... For those of you who have not heard about you and who have not read your story, we have to go back to the beginning. 2003, your sister had a baby boy who she could not take care of, correct? That's correct. And you, with your loving heart and your family support, decided, I'm going to do something for my sister. I'm going to step up. I'm going to adopt this baby and raise this son as your own was is that all true yes that's and, and correct. why tell me about that decision and tell me um t- take us back 17 years as to what was going on
1: well you you pretty much summed it up uh, quite well uh, my sister was um unable to uh care for for philip and so before he was born we decided that um, to keep
0: him in the family before would... he was born Yes, so yes. You hadn't so even she, met this child, and you agreed to take... What was going on in your life that you were able to... I mean, you were in your 20s. Yes. What kind of work were you doing?
1: I was a loan officer for a private firm, um, and I was just, um, you know... A co-
0: little, high school graduate? Did you do any college before I that? I did some
1: college, yes.
0: So you're just a, a normal, just a normal, upstanding person, and you said you would help out your sister, and your parents were on board, and other siblings? Yes,
1: yes, I and my other siblings, they were all on board... They were married with children already. I was the only one not married without children, and so um, it just it seemed like a good fit. I was already co co-parenting uh, for her older son, her firstborn.
0: For your sister's old. Okay. Right. So right. you so so the adoption thing is a permanent process. So was there no hope in the family's mind that she was going to be able to raise this child eventually?
1: Um. That that was a decision that she had made, um, uh, unfortunately, because of the lifestyle
0: that she had chosen to okay. live at that time. So that's a good question, and, and that I missed. She agreed to this adoption. Yes. She was not in a coma. She was not. Uh, she was. She participated to allow you to adopt her son. Yes. And the and the and the boy's name was born. His name was Philip. Yes. And he wasn't healthy, was he? At the beginning, was he? Was he no, premature? Yeah,
1: there was some complications. They had actually um, uh, induced her labor two weeks prior to the um, to the due date. Um, it was a it was a, a decision by a one year intern. Her her regular doctor was actually on vacation, and um, he was hospitalized for a week after birth uh, because he was uh, failing to eat and. Um, I was told that he was suffering from acid reflux. Now, mind you, I didn't have any legal say-so, so so I was getting everything secondhand from my sister. Well, acid reflux for a baby
0: is is common. My baby's had that. Sure, And And that's not an uncommon thing. Sure. So you took the baby home after one week?
1: Yes, after one week he came home.
0: And and, and your house was... was...
1: He was on a strict feeding regimen. Like every two hours there was a certain amount of CCs they wanted him to be able to keep down.
0: Was your sister... Involved at all at this point, or was she that bad off that she was not at the house?
1: Uh, It's not that she was that bad off, but she didn't reside with me, so there would be no reason for her to to be there. She would just take on the role as an aunt, if you will.
0: But I know that we're we're, we're trying to... I'm trying to break this down between week one when you got the baby home and week Mm -hmm. five when you took the baby back to the hospital. Mm -hmm. In those four weeks, uh, describe what was going on with baby Philip.
1: Well, basically, he was just... Your Normal baby. Your, yeah, your, your, your standard newborn. Uh, he went to uh, his pediatrician every week for a wellness checkup. Uh, he was, I, I don't want to say he was thriving 100%, but for being a newborn just out of intensive care for the first week of his life, he was, he was, he was moving on. He was gaining weight and, uh, you know, filling his diapers and, and, and finishing the bottles and whatnot.
0: How did you find motherhood for those few weeks?
1: Well, I, I, naturally, I'm I'm a maternal woman. Uh, I I changed my first diaper when I was six years old. I come oh, from wow. a large Catholic family, okay. so. But uh, my older brother, <laughs> he uh, he uh, ten being ten years older than myself, he um he he started his family, and so I. Uh, so you were around
0: babies early. Very early. Very so you early. so tell so me natural. describe. I'm trying to get from you. You know, describe how you how were those first few weeks with him home.
1: It was, it was, he was, he was my living doll. I mean, I was constantly taking photos of him and changing his little outfits and I mean, it was just, you know, it was
0: fabulous. It and was then did you have family coming over to help and to
1: my, my other siblings, they were, they resided out of the state. Okay. And so, yes, my, my parents would stop by and I had people from, at the time I was with my Qantas group and I, you know, I had friends stopping by and whatnot and. You know, I'm, I'm not out showing him off. It's too early for sure, that. But right. yeah, I had people coming through. Sure,
0: sure. And, and then around week five, what happened?
1: Um, around week five, uh, there wasn't any like overnight change, if you will. Um, however, I distinctly remember it was a Thursday afternoon, and an, uh, I had gone in to see my parish priest for a baptismal class. And or actually to arrange a baptismal class. And he was the one that actually, you know, because he had met Philip a couple of times, you know, and he said, you know, he doesn't, uh, he, he looks a little, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's like coming down with a cold or something, or he, he just doesn't, you know, whatnot. So I picked up Philip, and okay, well, you know, he stirred around. He was sleeping, and but he stirred around. So when we got home... I went to give him his, uh, his feeding, it was around 7 p.m., and um, he didn't keep that feeding down. And then throughout the evening, there was a, just a, a series of events where he really, things were starting to decline in in, response, in regards to like he wasn't eating, and he was becoming more and more lethargic, if you will. So by morning time, I called up my father, and I said, listen, I said, I've taken his temperature." No temperature, I've given him a tempered bath. I don't know what's going on. So he said, well, call the pediatrician, you know, what are you calling me for? So I called up the pediatrician and I informed her that he hadn't kept down a feeding in close to 12 hours and I was concerned about him becoming dehydrated. So she's invited me to go into the ER. She said, why don't you take him into the ER so they can start an IV on him, And uh, then we'll go on and I'll, I'll come in and we'll assess the situation.
0: So which ER did you go to?
1: Uh, At the time, it was Mount Clemens General, which is now McComb McLaren in Mount Clemens.
0: And I'm going to go off track for a second, but who named the baby? Was it you or your sister? I named him. That was your name.
1: Philip Francis Xavier Baumer. He was going to grow into that name.
0: It's a big name. It's a big name. So you take him into the hospital as any good mom would do. And what happened in the ER at Mount Clemens General?
1: Um, well, I, again, I, I didn't have legal custody of him, so I had to pick up my sister, oh. and she accompanied me to the ER, and uh, she took him in. And when I went, and I went to go park the car, and when I came back in, uh, they had already taken him in the back, and um, there wasn't too much information that that we were receiving. We were out in the waiting room for maybe fifteen, twenty minutes. And then they came out and they told us that they didn't know what was going on, but they knew that they wanted to get him to Children's Hospital, and they wanted our authorization to transport him. Um, he had no external injuries, no obvious signs or reasons to, to be you know, he was just lethargic. You mm-hmm. know, they, they they couldn't understand. So they sent him down to, to Children's Hospital, and they just started doing a, you know, drawing blood and.
0: You follow. You followed the. Do you follow the ambulance or you drove, drove in the ambulance?
1: No, no. I I followed the ambulance, and so um, then uh, when we got there, uh, it was by the time any doctor really came out to talk to us. It was close to maybe a, maybe 10 p.m., and she said, you know, we have them stabilized. It could be a virus of some for sort, or it could be an infection of some sort, or. You know, we don't know. She said, we're just waiting on results from lab work.
0: And you and your sister are still there. Mm-hmm. Your sister was still with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And so she said, uh, uh, you know, we'll go on and, and we'll just uh, go home, get some rest. We'll call you and come back in the morning. So we went back the next day. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, that was a Friday evening. The next day from the Thursday, that things started going, you know, south. Um, Victoria decided to take off. My sister. She she didn't tell anyone where she was going or what not. But sure, she turned her phone off and she was unavailable for pretty much the rest of the weekend. And so, um, when we were at the hospital that Saturday, again, it was just it you was just we, a, who was with you? Is oh, we? my parents. They so met. They, yeah, they it. met. You us and your parents there. went that Saturday morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it was just another day of just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then that Saturday evening, one of the nurses uh, attending to the children or to the infants, uh, she was doing a search. she was measuring you know the children and, and weighing them. And she noticed that the circumference of Philip's head had grown to an alarming rate where it was I don't remember the exact figures or whatnot, but it was enough for her to contact the radiologist and, and order an MRI or whatever they did. To, to whatnot. And that's when they saw bleeding in the brain. And so they had decided that they were going to do an emergency surgery to relieve the bleeding in the brain. And Sunday we went back to the hospital and just, uh, you know, just a waiting game, a waiting game, a waiting game. And then it was Monday morning, the next, that, that Monday morning that I received a phone call from the sheriff's department. And they asked me if I would come in to interview.
0: So let's back up for one second before yes. we get there. So all weekend long, as a, I'm, um, how were you feeling with your five-week-old, soon-to-be-legally-adopted son going through brain surgery?
1: Oh, it was devastating. It was devastating. I mean, you I mean you're clutching your rosary, and you're just, you're, yeah, you're just... <laughs> right, you're a wreck. <laughs> right, exactly. But the
0: surgery went well?
1: He survived the surgery, yes.
0: Okay, and, and so the indications were that he was going to be okay after that surgery when they told you Sunday... That everything went well in well, the surgery? Well, they just
1: said he was stabilized. There wasn't okay. there wasn't anything, because they they still didn't even have a diagnosis as to what was going on. Besides bleeding we, on the brain. Right,
0: right. And so, so Monday morning, which Sheriff's Department was it?
1: Uh, Macomb <clears throat> County.
0: So Macomb County Sheriff's Department calls you and says, will you come in and talk to us? Yes. And? And,
1: and because Victoria had taken off that Friday evening and was gone the whole weekend, I thought that maybe she had gotten herself into some issues or you know, trouble or whatnot, so I went in there thinking I was going in to, to to tend to whatever issues she had gotten into, completely blown away. And it was like maybe 20, 25 minutes into the interview that I actually grasped what I was actually doing there and what they were suggesting or implicating.
0: So you go into the sheriff's office, do they read you your Miranda rights? no. no. And they just start interviewing you about what?
1: Just basically, you know, who I am, the fi- family dynamics, uh, asking about Victoria, asking about Philip, asking about my parents, uh, uh, basically, uh, and then and then after all of those questions, then they started, you know, like, uh, have you ever hurt any children, or um, uh, did you drop Philip, or you know, just just questions where it's like, what are you asking me? And this you're answering the
0: questions like. Right. No, I mean, had Philip had any injuries in the four weeks you had him of home? Of course. Not. Did you ever hit his head on a wall by mistake? Did Ooh. you ever drop him by mistake? Did he ever roll off the better couch by mistake? These are yes. These right. are the questions. Of course, up there. but did it, so but none of that like, happened.
1: No, and no. In fact, I was mm-hmm. blown away because I'm like, why are you asking about Philip? Because I thought that you wanted to know something about Victoria, and they were like, well, we don't care about Victoria. We care about Philip because he's the one in the hospital, and I'm like. Well, they don't know what's going on with him. They, you know, I and then that's when. Well, that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. <laughs>
0: so, did they come clean at that during that interview and say, "We think that"?
1: No, they just said that they were trying to gather information, and 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 pretty much they were just trying to gather information. And how many
0: hours were you there with them?
1: Uh, probably, I between one and between one and three, maybe.
0: And then you went where after that?
1: And then I then I went home. And I attempted to go to the hospital, and I was informed that I by a, a security guard that I wasn't permitted in because I was now a suspect in a criminal investigation.
0: And so that's the first time you learned that you were suspect in a criminal investigation from the security guard at, Mount, at well, uh, Children's the, Hospital.
1: The, the, the police just I mean, when they were interviewing me that morning, I mean,
0: well, you're like a smart I said, person. It, you it you took, put two or two together, but did they tell you you were a suspect?
1: They just said that they were trying to gather information. Yeah,
0: but that doesn't mean anything. That no. doesn't mean you're a suspect.
1: No, if I, if I felt like I was a suspect, I think I would have ran and got a lawyer. And, Probably. Right. I mean, I, yeah, sure, I, you, I mean, yeah, sure, I would have called you, Mike. Yeah, she should Why not, but... right?
0: Maybe we wouldn't have been in this mess. Tell me um, But, so then, you're, you're, so what's, I mean, you go to see your son, and they say you can't come in. What's going on in your head? What do you do? Where do you who do you I'm call? Just,
1: I'm just blown away. I'm absolutely blown away. <clears throat> and so I I uh, I remember I called my father immediately and I said, They're not letting me in. And so he said, Well, he said, uh, he said, They're not letting anybody in right now. And then he informed me that actually he and my mother were due to have an interview. They interviewed everybody in the family. They interviewed everyone in, in the family. Before you were charged? I wasn't charged for several months, and then I was re-interviewed another time, a second time, with the good, bad, bad, with the good cop, bad cop, little thing that they had going on, and uh, and then they and then they, I begged them for a polygraph, and then they invited me in for a polygraph, and that was that was a horrific ordeal. They claimed I failed it, and I begged them to retake it, and they denied me of that. So hmm.
0: so, you, yeah. you, so they said you failed a polygraph. Mm-hmm. At any point during these months, did you talk to a lawyer?
1: Well, I, I, I had retained um, my attorney for the adoption. And no, I didn't feel that there was a need to talk to a criminal att- attorney for anything. But it wasn't until several months later, February of 2004, when the ad- adoption attorney, Mike Stepick, he gave me a call, a very good man, and he says, I'm afraid um, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, uh, what's the term, recuse myself or take myself yeah, away yeah. myself from yeah. dealing with you. And I'm going to suggest that you get a criminal attorney, which I don't handle. I do family. And uh, uh, he said, you're, uh, the sheriff's department is giving you 72 hours to turn yourself in. And they're charging you with first degree child abuse. And... If I thought that things were a nightmare before that point, I mean that's when.
0: <laughs> what month was um, Philip born? August. And so what month did you get this call for?
1: February. And it, he he was in. The so you're
0: seven act. months later. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've you've gone through two interviews with the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. You didn't call a lawyer for either of those. No. Because you thought there's no way you did anything wrong. There's no way anybody could believe you did anything wrong. There's no external trauma. There's nothing. Well, going I didn't on here. feel
1: like there was. Yeah,
0: right. like, I I I hear you. Um, and another reason I ask a lot of these questions is because I'm hoping people are are watching these and listening to these podcasts and learning. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And that's one no. reason you ladies are here. And anyone and, can be a potential right. juror. So yes, that's a potential good. juror, a potential victim, and 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 you know, I I <laughs> It's not my job to educate the whole world, but you know, Obviously, in hindsight, you shouldn't have gone in for that second interview without a lawyer. Nobody should talk to the police without a lawyer. That's correct. that's just a simple thing that you probably knew that, but you forgot it or you thought... A lot of people think, I'm innocent. I can talk to the police. I can talk to the sheriff. The sheriffs are the same as the police okay so so your 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 adoption lawyer says you need a criminal lawyer who did, did he did he recommend someone or how did you find your criminal lawyer
1: i I found my criminal lawyer by actually contacting um, a friend of mine from high school and her friend or excuse me her younger brother had gotten in trouble found it like this is obviously several years before but I don't know he had gotten in trouble but there was like a joint in his book bag or something and so he had gotten arrested at school for that and I remember his parents had to get a bail bondsman so I called up my friend Christine and I'm like who was that bail bondsman that your parents got for Danny years ago and so she gave me his number and I told him what was going on and he said oh I've got a buddy who's a lawyer
0: and what was his name
1: Elias Mawad.
0: and he's the one who handled the case throughout the trial
1: and yes, and, and yes, and he actually apologized af- after the fact. He, he, he admitted to dropping the ball on several occasions. Okay,
0: so we'll, we'll get into him in a second. So you were arraigned within a few days for, was it first-degree child abuse or what? Yes, first-degree first, first degree child abuse. Um, and you pled not guilty, and what happened next?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: how many weeks months
1: it was like 18 months had gone by
0: <laughs> 18 months uh from birth i mean your child was 18 months old
1: no, no no 18 months from the time of my arrest to the time over my arraignment or arrest to the time of my trial Got 18 it. months wow. had gone
0: by that's a long time now you were not sitting in jail the whole time were you
1: no i was out on bond okay but uh, it's uh, it's ironic
0: that every time uh,
1: my uh, Elias would uh, put a motion in for discovery for something in the hospital, those orders would be uh, lost. And so then we would have to go back to court and re-get the orders for discovery. And,
0: Who was your judge in Macomb County? Uh,
1: He's retired now, James Baronet Sr., ironically for both uh, trials. you would be a fun one to interview.
0: He's got a pretty good reputation, I think. Oh yes. I mean I Well I've they both him, do, the son, his son and son. His I son's think. a mm-hmm. judge, yeah. They, these mm-hmm. are these are I mean these are these right. are good judges. So so your lawyer so during these eighteen months he's preparing a defense for you allegedly? Yes, and I kept telling him
1: at the time before we actually knew what was wrong with Philip, my collectively my family and I, we were dissecting everything from Victoria's pregnancy, to the time of the birth, and even the time that he's spent at the hospital after the birth. And from the research that we did as lay people, we knew that with her um, water being induced, with the labor being induced two weeks prior to the original due date, she was given too much Pitocin. And we f- figured okay, well, he must have sustained injuries due to too much Pitocin. And so that's what we were trying to get from the hospital, that proof that she was given Pitocin, and those orders miraculously. Finally, we got them on, a, on the fetal monitoring strips. Unfortunately, they weren't admitted because they were submitted too late. There was a lot of shady little errors leading all the way up to uh, the conviction.
0: Was but, was Did you feel like your defense attorney was... Well,
1: I kept telling him, we you know, we yeah. got get we got it, we got it. And he just kept dismissing it. He didn't, he didn't, I retained his services, but Mike, you got to remember I was in my early 20s, so I wasn't a millionaire or anything. I was, I retained his services, he told me. If we're, he said, you're probably going to need some experts. But then he started throwing off dollar figures going into $20,000, $40,000. When you're 24 years old, those are figures that <laughs> you don't want to hear that. So though. he
0: said, we should hire experts. And you said, I don't have that money. And he said, okay, then Basically we're going to trial without an expert. That's right. He didn't realize that he could petition the judge.
1: That's where he claims
0: he yeah. messed up. So every lawyer knows. Exactly. Every lawyer should know and, exactly, and every witness should know, and every defendant should know.
1: But I think he just well, let I me think just finish he, the yeah. sentence,
0: just in case somebody is listening. <laughs> that every that that if you can't afford an expert going up against the state with lots of experts, the state will pay for an expert for you. That's right, just like they'd pay for an attorney. Mm-hmm. If you fired Muad and said um, we had a breakdown of a relationship, I need a different lawyer. The court would appoint you one for free. You know that now. Yes. So he failed to get you a expert mm-hmm. He allowed you to go to trial with just you and him and who else testified on your behalf um we
1: did have um uh, what was her name Janice often now she was she was an expert, but she wasn't an expert in what we needed we needed we needed a radiologist and we needed. Like a neurosurgeon, we needed people that were going to go up against the two main witnesses for the state, which was the radiologist and the brain surgeon. Right,
0: which is typical. Sometimes, right. I mean, some of these cases have four, five, six witnesses. Right,
1: and then and then I wasn't allowed any character witnesses. That was it.
0: You weren't allowed.
1: You no, know, he's yeah. He went ahead and he said, uh, he said this is basically the battle of the experts, and he but said you didn't
0: have any experts.
1: I know. Tell me about it. And so it's the basically law. me against the state. Right. <laughs> Or me against these two Dutch So my word to the jurors, which I wasn't allowed to testify. So you either. didn't testify. No, well, you it, were
0: allowed. You chose not to. Well, he advised me not to. So your lawyer said. And did you fight him on it, or did you say, okay, you're no. the expert. You're the exactly, lawyer. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I just, yep. I. Did he ever had a
0: case like this before? Did you ask no. him if he ever had a shaken
1: baby case? Or I, a, I didn't even know what I was getting. I didn't even know what I. I didn't know what he was. The what they were. It wasn't even until at some point in the trial that I actually heard the term shaken baby. I mean, I kept asking everybody, like, okay, if they're charging me with first-degree child abuse, what exactly are they saying I did wrong? That's a good point. I never could, no one ever could tell me. And though I'd never even heard the term shaken baby until at
0: some point in the trial. So did so? Were they They were using the term shaken baby syndrome back in 2004 was the trial? Or five? 2005, yes. Because now they've changed the name to Abusive Head Trauma. That's right. But that's a different story. Right. Um, you know, SBS got a bad rap, so now they've got um, AHT, which is getting a bad rap. Um, but, so what month in 2005 was this? Uh, September. And how many days was your trial? It, was, uh, it went on for about four weeks. Four weeks? Mm-hmm. With, so you had no witnesses... You you called one witness on your behalf, yeah. The yeah. The, the what was her? I don't understand. What was her role? What was her title? What was her uh, occupation?
1: Uh, 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 she was some form of doctor, but she wasn't. She she. I, I don't
0: remember. I don't. She recall. wasn't a radiologist. She wasn't a neurosurgeon. Right. She was not somebody who was skilled to talk about SBS or right abuse of head trauma
1: anything right. So what took so long? I you know. That's, Did you go every day? Did you go
0: one day a week? There there would be
1: some half days. And then there would be a couple of days off.
0: So the state called two witnesses. Do they call anybody else?
1: Not that I'm aware of. Or they might have called the uh, the foster the the foster the foster parents, which were now the adaptive parents. What did they say? Oh, they were just talking about the level of care that you know that 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 uh,
0: Philip was. So tell me about his. We're gonna. We're jumping around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because we're
1: going back 15 years. I understand. You know, where are the transcripts? We're jumping around.
0: <laughs> That's how I do things. We're jumping, jumping around. Tell me. Um, so, so by the time you got to trial, which is sounds like it's your child's almost two years old at this point, mm-hmm. how was he physically doing? Uh, I remember from the from the videos that they
1: showed that he had uh, 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 little leg braces, and. Um, they didn't have any audio in the in the video. They just showed the video. So it was I, I mean I, I didn't have contact with him, so I don't I don't really know what it, you know, but what they just it? showed like video of him like at physical therapy, getting physical therapy. And uh I don't think there was anything domestically. It was like just little like little experts or little excerpts of of I don't even know how long the video was, but it was just like of him
0: I get it with different okay. therapists, and physical therapist. So after this four-week trial, um, you're going home every night, right? You're not in custody, right? Your family supporting you. Yes. Is Victoria at the trial with you? No. She was off doing her own thing. Yes.
1: She she wasn't even aware of the trial. Okay.
0: And the jury comes back. I mean, did they? Was there a point at any point that they offered you a plea deal?
1: They did. What they, they offer you? They they did. I think they offered me something to the, I want to say, maybe two years. Now, mind you, being a layperson, at, uneducated at, in, in that area, if you will, about sentencing and this and that and da-da-da, I remember Elias telling me, Julie, he said, when I first went in for my first interview with him, and he said, you're probably looking at, he said, if you're guilty and you're convicted, he said, you're probably looking at one to five years, depending on your history, which right now I don't know anything. Well, that well that was false information because it was really 10 to 15 years. It wasn't one to five years. So then he comes to me and he, at some point, I think we were halfway into the trial, and he says, "They want to, they want to know if you plead guilty, you can do two years and then just be done with it. And I remember looking at him and I was I was almost hurt. But I said, you know what I said? They 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 took, you know, my kid away. They turned my life upside down. And now they want me to put myself away <laughs> for something I didn't do. <laughs> I tell them where they know where they can go. I'm not taking it I'm not doing this. I
0: So. so, yeah, I, I, it, it's sitting, you know, playing Monday morning quarterback 17 years later, 15 years later, um, you know, you didn't present a defense. You had, you had I mean, you, you didn't present a defense, um, or this lawyer didn't present a defense on your behalf, which is the upsetting part for a lawyer like me. It's, a, it's upsetting that, this, that he didn't take this seriously. I don't know what was going on in his head, and I don't know if he thought he was just going to get off because he had good openings and closing arguments. Um, I, I just don't get it. Um, but you turned down the you turned down the plea deal. Um, the jury came back on all counts uh, guilty.
1: It was one count,
0: but it was yes, was one count guilty. It didn't. There was no options for the jury, and guilty. Mm-hmm. And what goes through your head when you hear this?
1: It was just absolutely surreal, absolutely surreal. Um, I don't want to say that I was in denial during the trial or any at any stage during the legal proceedings, but I tried to, mind you, I was co-raising Brandon, who was the older brother of Philip. So I tried to keep him sheltered from that, and I tried to keep my professional life sheltered from that. Because I knew (laughs) that I wasn't guilty and I knew that I didn't do anything wrong. And in my mind, I thought, you know, I'm not going to air dirty laundry. You know, this isn't something that you share. I mean, this is, someone's going to realize that they made a mistake. They're going to apologize to me. And this is all just going to like blow over. And and however that's going to work out, it's going to work out. So I, I maintained a schedule and worked the trial into my schedule. The day I was convicted, Obviously I was taken into custody, but that evening Brandon had a scheduled dental appointment and then he and I had an aunt and nephew date for, oh, you did such a good job at the dentist buddy. Now we're going to do dinner and a movie. War of the Worlds, I remember the movie he wanted to see, some weird alien thing, seven years old, I don't know, anyways.
0: Was Brandon living with you?
1: I, I was co-raising him, so I had him I had him on some nights and then his and then his, his paternal grandmother had Got him on, okay. some, on, 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 on some other times. Uh, it was nice that I always had him on the nights where he had to go to the dentist and mm-hmm. things, but that's fine. I, it was my pleasure. I mean that's my sister's kid. Anyhow uh, um, And then the next day I had I was president of my Qantas Club. I like had a scheduled board meeting. It was like just, I just I was just ripped from my life. She you, just thought, you just thought there was absolutely
0: no way no this way jury could convict gonna, you. No way. But at the same time, you, so you seem like a really smart lady. Um, I'm sure you were smart in your 20s. You know, you're doing all these things. You were you were taking care of kids. You were stepping up, um, and yet you sat through this four week trial, and I can't. Uh, and it just I'm having a hard time realizing that you didn't realize this wasn't going well
1: oh well i had i had i had i had some doubtful i had some doubtful moments uh in fact during you spoke of during opening arguments or you made a comment of opening arguments uh mind you for the 18 months that we were preparing for this trial my family and i kept telling elias we have to prove that my, you know, that Victoria was given Pitocin. We have to prove because he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. We have to prove that there was medical malpractice here that caused the cerebral palsy. I didn't do that, you know. Julie didn't do that. Medical purposes purposes did this. Right. So, when I went ahead and, uh, I just distracted
0: myself. No, it's okay. But you, you were right, you, right, right,
1: right. So, so his opening. His opening remarks, he says, at the at, at the end of at the end of his spiel, very dramatically, he, he walks to the jurors and then points over at me and says, I can tell you that this did not happen on my client's watch. And I just remember putting my hands in my head and thinking, What did he just do to me? Because first of all, you're telling the juror something happened that something happened. And then you're saying that it didn't happen on my watch. So what happened and what didn't happen on my watch? And then if it didn't happen on my watch, then whose watch did it happen on when I'm the primary caregiver? <laughs> He's
0: in my care the whole time. So but did he tell your story? I mean, the fact that you took this baby because your sister couldn't. I mean, did your real story come out?
1: mm No. And it did, and, and I don't even know if that came out during the second trial. I I I, I there was a lot that was that was that was kept from 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 the second jury. I mean, they didn't even know that I had I had been in prison before.
2: And if I could just interject, Hi, I was Miller. the jury foreman on Julie's second trial, and after it was over, we found out that we, if we had any knowledge of her first trial, we were not allowed to participate in the second trial mm. uh, when they were picking jury members. They were asking us, do you know her? Do you have any knowledge of her? Not alluding to what had happened, but basically they wanted a completely unbiased, fresh set of eyes for her second trial. Now, I didn't know most of the things that she had mentioned to you about her first trial. And it's just unbelievable how different that was. You're
0: hearing it for the first time right now?
2: Yes. For example, uh, she didn't have any medical experts. There were a lot of medical experts at her retrial. There were a lot of character witnesses. She did take the stand. Okay. So there were a lot of things going on uh, that well, you, you see didn't a difference happen between, in the first trial.
0: And she had a great second defense lawyer, oh, Carl right. Marlinga, yes.
2: Yes. and
0: lots of others. So we're we're jumping the gun again. We're all over the place. Thanks, Sarah. Um I know you're excited to get in on the show, and I, I want to talk to you. So, you know that that's okay because the punchline is you're here, you're out. But let's let's just kind of take this a little bit more sequentially. You're convicted. You're sentenced to what?
1: Um, I was sentenced to uh, ten to fifteen years.
0: And the judge could have sentenced you to a lot less.
1: Well, I I, I believe my sentencing guidelines. Um, I don't I don't remember the exact number, but because I had no prior convictions, they um, it, it would have been lower. Um, but he, he gave you the max. He gave me the max. He gave me the max. And what I didn't confirm with anybody, but I suspect after being inside for a little bit and doing a little bit of research at the legal library, is that uh, he, uh, he probably gave me the, the, the max so that if I went out back on appeal and then lost the appeal, they couldn't throw you know they couldn't max me out like it, um, you're already maxed or something i don't i mean i don't know that was okay. just a theory on mine probably irrelevant
0: so i mean i gotta ask and i've asked this to, oh it
1: was an election year too so maybe that was tough. <laughs> tough on crime
0: going to prison as a innocent person innocent woman people in, in uh, convicted of hurting a baby i mean how was how was that i mean try to describe to me what the feelings were what what the experience was like in prison.
1: Oh. Okay. it's it's I can describe it. I mean, some parts are indescribable. Uh, first and foremost, when the when the when the when the conviction came, that was surreal. You know, you're just like, okay, this isn't happening. But then, you you go on and you sort of like pop into survival mode. You know, mentally, mm-hmm. you're like, okay. What, what 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 do you do next? Okay, well you want to appeal next, so you immediately start on your appeal, um, and then, you know, being and being and in, being incarcerated, you know, you. It's it's really not the way it is in the movies. It's 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 you know every every institution different, and and the layouts are different and whatnot, but pretty much. Uh, at least from my experience, um, you know it's it's more of a mental breakdown. It's more of a mental breakdown. You know I I re- I remember uh, when I when I first for the intake day at at prison, uh, you know uh, you're you're assigned a number and then that's how you're identified. And I remember thinking they just took my identity, they just took my name away, and they just sent, assigned me a number. And then you're 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 basically told that you're property of the state. And then you're reminded of that, you know, throughout your stay. Um, uh, and then just the, um, uh, you know, the, just the sterile, everything's just so uniformed and, and uh, impersonal.
0: Um, what did you do to keep yourself busy?
1: Well, I did, I, 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 I walked the yard a lot. But I, I tried to, um, I tried to I tried to keep a, a nine to five job, if you will. I mean, there was nothing administrative in there, but I was uh, able to obtain a position with the in house maintenance, which was what I requested because it was very diverse. You know, you weren't just stuck in one area, um, and so I was able to, uh, to 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 consume my my time with that. And then I read a lot, you know. I I, I read a lot, and then, um,
0: make any friends?
1: Well, uh, I don't know what you would consider a friend in that environment, um, but I I I certainly I certainly learned um, who to be cordial with and who not to be cordial with, uh, and I I I pretty much I just I you know I stuck to myself. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy process. At some I remember. Everybody you know telling me, don't talk about your case if you're appealing it, don't talk about your case da, da 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 i it was I was in there a couple of years and somehow the key case had leaked out. so of course, you go through that proverbial gauntlet line, if you will. you know, every time you leave the unit or you leave your room or something you you got somebody pointing at you and whispering and you know, oh, she's the one who cooked her baby or she's the one that he sewed her baby's f- yeah. eyelids. I mean, it's just that did psychological... You feel, did you feel threatened at
0: any point? I mean, did anybody um, try to harass you, hurt you?
1: Well, no, uh, Well, uh, no. I never physically felt threatened. I, I always prayed that, you know, Jesus, I put your, your precious blood upon me and just keep me safe. I, I repeated that 20 million times a day. Uh, and then I always figured that if anybody ever did uh, try to attack me, I would just jump in a fetal position and hope that one of the CEOs would come and and rescue me or something. But by the grace of God, no, I was never physically threatened. So
0: And, and while you're there, are you at the prison library learning and reading up on, on case law and well, realizing yeah, doing,
1: Yes, yes. As I'm as I'm appealing my case, who, it's who right. appealed
0: your case your first sin?
1: I was a court appointed attorney, which she 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 um uh I kept I kept telling her, Listen, we weren't able to get these fetal monitoring strips into the into the trial. We weren't able to prove that my sister was given pitocin. I'm telling you this is you know what's going on when she she told me, which is very incorrect, but she said, Well, we can't appeal anything that's not in the transcripts. <laughs> well, well, what's an appeal unless you're admitting new evidence right, right, right? Right, right so she she didn't want anything to do with it, and she basically just wrote that off. I was denied my appeal. And then I actually asked a, 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 a lady who worked in the library. She was a, a fellow prisoner, and she had been there for some years, and I told her what was going on, and, and I asked if she would write my brief for me and to submit
0: it. And then a couple of years later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this part um, relatively quickly because of time, but yes. eventually... University of Michigan Innocence Clinic opened up in 2008. Through a series of events, they agreed to take your case. Yes. You were the third or fourth case that they had taken yes. d- at that point in time. Yes. And they th- thought you were innocent. Yes. And um, what ha- so they, they took your case and they filed a 6,500 motion, I assume. Yes. And they asked Judge Birnett. Right for a new trial. Yes, based Based, on new evidence. Based on new evidence. Which was
1: completely off Right.
0: So in 2007, your original appeal by the court-appointed person was denied, which seems to happen a lot until places like the amazing Innocent Clinics step in. Or now the
1: Integrity Unit.
0: The Integrity Unit in Wayne County Mm -hmm. you're referring to, Mm -hmm. and other counties are starting to open that, open those up. We've talked about that a lot on the show. And in 2009... Was it Judge Biernat who decided you needed a new trial? Yes. Which is an amazing thing. Yes. So he basically admitted your first trial sucked and was had lots of errors and new evidence showed that you were entitled to a new trial. Yes. And did you were you in court when he made that ruling or did you get a call when you were in prison?
1: Uh, no, I, I was supposed to go to court. But the trans, the uh, the trans, the trans, the, the transport officers yeah. somehow they they missed messed it, it up. Yeah, they messed it up. So, so
0: you got a call, or somebody told you, yes. and, and what's I going, got a visit. Actually. What's going on in your brain when they say we well, are getting a new trial?
1: Oh, I I was I, I it was like thank God, you know, like four years later,
0: but thank God. And it's rare. Let's not let's not forget. There's a lot of innocent people sitting in prison. Oh, but and to what get something to you, that quick, right? It's rare, and four years it's too long. Right, but. Better than 40 years or 25 years or 13 years, but four years is way too long. And at this point in time, the state, Macomb County Prosecutor's Office, had an option. Mm -hmm. They could have said, she served her time. Whether she did it or didn't, we're going to walk away and not try her again. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to try her again because we don't like that this got overturned. We don't like being wrong. We don't like losing. Right. Unfortunately, they chose the latter. Yes. They said, we're going to retry her. Right. Now, were you shocked by this?
1: Well, yes, but in, initially, they had, Eric Smith and Carl Marlinga had what they what, what I was told was called a gentleman's agreement, and that if Baronet realized that there were errors in my trial and realized that the new evidence showed that Philip suffered from a, a, a venous sinus thrombosis, a, a form of childhood stroke, if he said, okay... She's innocent. We're just going to all walk away. I I was when they took me from the prison to the court. And for the judge, yes, I actually I was like I would I I knew that he was overturning my conviction, but for the actual formal hearing when he's like okay, your your sentence is vacated. Yes, I was present and I thought I was just okay. Let's let's move on to, you know, what's going on next. I had no idea they were going to retry me. No idea. I
0: it must have been a blow to the it, head when they told be, you that. Exactly. Because and it doesn't it, make any sense. It, Sitting here 15 years later, it, or not even 15 years later, 11 years later, it makes no sense. Right. You'd already right. served four years. They offered you one to two. Right. Or they offered you two years. You'd serve double that. Right. They should have walked away. Right. And and Eric
1: Smith uh, claims that, uh, again, if that was an election year, but he claimed, the, he told uh, Dave Moran, he says, um, you know, I know she's innocent, but I need a jury to tell the public that she's innocent because it's an election year, and I too have to
0: stay. Well, the tough Eric on Smith crime. that's uh, yeah, about to go to federal prison. Yes, karma
1: comes back.
0: it's <laughs> <Yeah, that's> a <laughs> karmic thing. Wow! Yeah, I bet you didn't feel bad when you saw he got indicted. Oh, I was, I, I was, you well. Know. So, okay. Um, so now, was Carl Marlinga the prosecutor when you were convicted the first time?
1: Ironically, yes, but he was. He, he stepped was, down.
0: He had stepped down because
1: he was uh getting ready to run for Senate. So he he didn't even know about my case. He claims that if he had, had come across his desk, he would have questioned it. He would have, you know, whatever. But he so he claims he didn't even know about my case so until your my pre trial. Okay,
0: so your first trial, he was the head prosecutor. Yes. Who was the uh, prosecutor that tried the case? Do you remember that person's name?
1: For the first trial? Yeah.
0: Um originally
1: uh Yes, her name was, um, she actually was fired after the trial. Uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle Brunowski, we would have Why'd to Why'd she look get fired? Up. Do we know why? Well, there was some There was some issues. Uh, because of your trial she got fired?
0: Yes. Even though she got a conviction?
1: Yes. Uh, she wasn't even at my sentencing. They okay. had assigned a new prosecutor. I know, It tell gets me. thicker.
0: The web gets thicker.
1: The, thought, the plot thickens exactly. So,
0: so Okay. So, so how did you hook up, so I know Dave Moran, the, the excellent lawyer who runs the University of Michigan Innocence Clinic, um, and his team of lawyers, how did they hook up with Carl Marlinga to represent you as one of your lawyers in the second trial, in the same courthouse that he used to be the prosecutor, <laughs> he's the prosecutor in your first case, I'm not sure how there wasn't a conflict there, but thank God he was there, was he your lead trial lawyer, how did that happen? It's mind-blowing
1: that whole thing. I know, it was divine intervention. Tell me, tell me how that thing. happened,
0: do you know how that happened?
1: Well uh or did
0: David Moran just say, Come on, Carl, help this woman out.
1: Oh well, I will i t- I'll tell you how how the, very quickly. Before U of M even jumped on board, um I had been appealing the case, appealing the case, appealing the case. And uh one 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 Friday evening I get a phone or I get not a phone call, but I get an offer call from the officer. Go to the visiting room, you have a visitor.
0: Wait, this is why you're still in prison?
1: This is why I'm still in prison. Oh, oh okay. So I'm yep, yeah, so I go on and I go to the visiting room, and there's a Felician a nun, Sister Lois. She's from the Felician Sisters. And she uh, claims that she had gotten my, my name off of a prayer list, and she wanted to know about my case. So I shared with her the case and, and the entirety of what I knew it at that point. And so she and uh, she said, well, you know, she said, I've, I've got a friend, Charles Lugosi, who's an attorney but also a professor at the Ave Maria School of Law, at the time was in Mm -hmm. Ann Arbor. And she said, do you mind if I talk to him about your case? And I said, please, 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 anyone who wants to listen. So uh, I then sent him my transcripts. He and his students found merit in the case, but they knew they were way above their head. They didn't know where they were going to turn to. U of M had not opened their doors yet. They didn't know where they were going to turn their head, you know, what what they were going to do. Charles Lugosi attended some lawyer dinner function, fundraiser, something, and seated at his dinner table was Jack Kirkwood, who is the husband of Heather Kirkwood, who is a Seattle-based attorney who handles SBS cases pro bono. So through casual dinner conversation, Charles Lugosi's expressing this new case he has, which is my new case, and Jack pipes up and says, my wife is the one that you want to talk to. So she, he gets her in touch with, he gets Charles in touch with Heather Kirkwood. Heather Kirkwood reviews everything. She says, I have several renowned doctors who will testify. But she said, now, she said, we need some local people. She said, "Because she's not licensed in Michigan. Right. But she said, we need local people. So then that's when they contacted Dave Moran. Got it. And Dave Moran looked at the case and said, yes, we'll accept this case and we'll go on and we'll we'll assist in the retrial. But then Heather Kirkwood and Dave Moran, they were like, we still need somebody even more local. I don't know who reached out to Carl, but Carl had a soft spot for wrongful convictions because of what almost and happened to him. Well, well, and what happened to him, right. Right, right. So that's... that's so point. he went ahead and uh he took on my case and and did, it, did
0: he was he, was he the one who argued your case? He he, he argued the opening cl- uh, openings and closings and cross-examine witnesses and put on the witnesses? Right,
1: right. But U of M, they they, they helped. They, they helped uh, Bridget McCormick, who's now Supreme Court, she actually... You she, had a dream team. I had a dream team. She Julie. was actually the one who gave me direct examination. And then Dave Moran, that was his first trial. He'd never done a trial before, so he got to go up and do his first time thing. Oh, my thing, God. I, I wish I was I, in that courtroom. Oh, was... It was different, it was different. Well, you had
0: no idea who all these people were really at that no, point. no I, I mean, no in fact Dave I Moran, was, Bridget McCormick, Carl Marlinga, right, and Heather Kirkland was there too.
1: Oh yeah, well, Heather flew in and 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 the judge knew that she she was just there to advise Wow, and then a, and then a, and then maybe about six students that were working on the case.
0: So you went from having a kind of a I won't call him the name that's in my head, but Elias Mouad... Fill in the blank. What kind of attorney he was mm-hmm. to a dream team? That's right. So, Divine second intervention, second trial starts in sometime in two thousand and ten. Ten
1: October? No, September.
0: September two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. Lucky for you, you had a fabulous jury foreman, forewoman, who happens to be sitting right here, Sarah Miller. Yes, I am. Good Hi, Sarah. Afternoon. Hi. How are you? You're back. I am. So. You've been listening. I know you said you learned a bunch of stuff um, from hearing about our first trial. The difference between the first trial and the second trial. I guess, uh, you know, had you ever sat on a jury before?
2: No, this was my first time, and this trial was about four weeks, I believe.
0: Okay, the second trial was four weeks as well as the first trial. trial.
2: Was four weeks, and
0: you know. You heard her in, in painful detail describe how lousy that first trial was. The second trial feels like it was night and day because there was half a dozen medical witnesses on Julie's behalf. The state probably had their half a dozen witnesses. Correct. They had this dream team of lawyers. The prosecution had their one or two lawyers. Yes. So tell me your impressions of the trial, those four weeks. How, how, how do you describe that?
2: Well, As you asked me, I had never been on a jury before, and the selection process took all day. They kept asking people questions and dismissing them and bringing other people in, and I just knew the whole time I was sitting in that courtroom that I was going to get picked for this jury. I just knew it. So they questioned me towards the end of the day, after we'd been sitting there for hours and hours, and... Once I was selected, you know, they had indicated that the trial was expected to last four weeks. And I think that's why a lot of people were dismissed. There are a lot of people, for a variety of reasons, that are not able to commit to four weeks. And one of the main things I remember sitting on that jury is how convincing the prosecution was and how certain they were the doctors that they brought in that she was guilty
0: because the prosecu- prosecution gets to go first as we know so so yes. let's just break this down a little bit sarah as you're listening to the prosecution witnesses are you how convinced are you that julie hurt this baby
2: i was absolutely convinced and when we went into deliberate at the end of the four weeks i thought she was guilty and when we did our first go around with the deliberation, I was one of the people that initially voted her as guilty.
0: Wow! So even after the prosecution put on their six witnesses, what was it? How can you? What was it that? Uh, why? Why in your mind did the prosecution witnesses hold more weight than the defense?
2: Um, the prosecution witnesses were primarily doctors. I remember a doctor Ham. Once I heard his testimony, it would have been very hard to convince me otherwise because he was so competent, so seemingly knowledgeable, and seemed so certain that she was guilty. That was, I think, the point in time where I had kind of felt like, yes, she definitely committed this crime. So when I have that in my mind, I'm perceiving the defense in a different way. Uh, Because I'm so convinced by the prosecution that she's guilty, I'm dismissing a lot of things that the defense is saying, and I'm not perceiving them as being as knowledgeable or competent or accurate with all of the information that they're providing. In that trial, we sat there for days and just looked at MRIs. You've got one set of doctors saying that this is, uh, look at this, this child was abused. And then you have another set of doctors looking at the same MRIs saying, this child had a stroke.
0: Right. So that was not the, it's mean, I to interrupt for the people who are watching at home and listening. You were, you were going on and on Julie that you thought the Pitocin and the cerebral palsy and the legal and the, and the medical malpractice is what caused the bleeding on the brain. turns out Philip had suffered a stroke called a venous sinus thrombosis, correct? Yes. Okay. So through uh, my, my guess is, correct me if I'm wrong, throughout the, the months between the, the, the release and the new trial, all the experts got together and looked at all the slides and looked at all the MRIs and the medical records and the fetal monitoring strips. I'm sure they got everything. You had a dream team. They got everything. Am I right? Yes. Um, they were more, way more skilled than your first lawyer and they got everything And the all, they all got together and said, this is a stroke. This wasn't, this baby wasn't shaken. This baby wasn't dropped. And so, so that, that's, that's, um, a medical condition, but you didn't buy it at, at the, at first you eventually bought it. And I'm right. curious how you changed your mind, but I'm not there yet. So, so did you just think this is a made up thing by the defense and the, all these, li- all these doctors are lying?
2: No, I never thought that anybody was lying. I think that it was really just disputable, debatable about what happened to this child. And if I recall, now granted, we're going back 10 years, almost exactly. So there may be some details in my memory that aren't exact. But my general knowledge of that was that the doctors from the prosecution side were the actual doctors that examined the baby? I know there was a Dr. Moak, he was in the emergency room at the time. Doctor Ham, I believe, must have examined the baby at some point in time. I don't recall the names of the other doctors, but I, I believe that they were the ones that were actually present while all of this was going on, ran the tests, examined the baby. So I felt that they were more credible just based on that.
0: So you go back into the jury room. There's how many jurors? Twelve?
2: 12 and then we had a extra I don't know what you call that alternate. but there's they call alternate. That an alternate yes thank you just well, in
0: case one of you gets sick one of you, <laughs> you doesn't show up and
2: that did end up happening the oh. alternate did drop out way 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 towards the end of the fourth how
0: weeks. many days did you guys deliberate two and so the first go-round when the jurors go around and vote how many guilty verdicts how many guilty votes were there
2: that is a great question I'm almost positive it was three guilty two not guilty, and the rest undecided.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: They just all said, I have no clue if this person is innocent or guilty. That was the general consensus.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, uh, Julie testified this time.
2: Yes, and I hear that's very uncommon, but I don't have enough knowledge of trials to to know that that's really true. And I took a lot of notes during these four weeks and I regret they said we could keep them at the end of the trial I regret not doing that they were just shredded or destroyed and I remember her testifying and I was taking my notes and someone looked right at her and said did you commit this crime did you abuse this child and I was so busy taking my notes I didn't look up into her face and I, I always wished that I would have and she said no. I remember hearing that, and, and just wished I would have had that visual connection with what I was hearing.
0: You think that you, maybe you would have given it more credit?
2: Maybe, maybe I just could have seen a, a little bit more past my own um, my own opinion at that point of so, whether or not she was innocent or guilty.
0: So, Sarah, we know your ultimate verdict was not guilty. Yes. How take us through the two days? I mean, how 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 did you? Because and and just for those of you who don't know, all twelve have to agree, which is not an easy thing, and especially on the count you just told me. I mean, because that's a pretty you know, I've heard stories ten to two, eleven to one. I've never heard it as, as kind of uh, off skew as is what you just described. So tell me, how you guys all got to twelve not guilty?
2: Yes, so. The three of us who felt she was guilty, and I'm pretty sure it was three. I can think of the other two people in my head. Um, We just, it was very difficult to articulate, yes, she's just guilty. The two people that initially believed she was innocent was a nurse and a minister at a local church. And I... Volunteered to be the jury foreman, and I was just kind of going with the flow. I didn't have a plan. I watched 12 Angry Men during the trial just what? out of curiosity to see what, what happens in a jury room. Okay. I heard it was a good movie, it was. And I said, okay, well, let's do that thing where everybody just kind of goes around and anonymously writes down their vote, innocent guilty or undecided. And there, that was where we got those numbers. So once we realized what we were dealing with, then I kind of opened up the table to discuss this, and nobody wanted to say anything. It was a very tense silence. But the silence was finally broken by the nurse who said she was innocent. So while we're all sitting there holding our breath, like, what do we do now? She said... There's no way she abused that baby. And I was surprised. I thought we were going to go in there and all say that she was guilty and there wouldn't be a lot of discussion about it. So the nurse started going into more of the medical aspect of it, which is, I think, where a lot of us were really stuck. It was difficult to make heads or tails of two different sets of doctors saying two very different things. So she broke the silence and And said, let me tell you why this child was not abused. And that at least got the discussion going.
0: And then it took two days to convince everybody.
2: Yes. And the minister who, we were a really good group. We were very personable. We got along. We talked. The minister uh, during the four-week trial kind of kept to himself, didn't really say a whole lot. But when it came time to deliberate, he also really stepped up and had a lot of input on why he believed that she was innocent. And I readily admit to being one of those people who said, oh, well, she's on trial, she must have done something wrong, or, well, she was the last one that the baby was with, and he was fine. And it was the minister that really challenged my way of thinking on that and said, well, your son was probably the last person that uh, you were with does that mean that you abused him if something were to happen to him just because you're his primary caregiver and, and you were the last person to see him this morning or whatever? Does that mean you're guilty of something? Interesting. Uh, no, no, it does not.
0: So you came to the verdict and you all were confident at that point?
2: Well, the first day, I we all agreed that we weren't ready to make this decision yet We had kind of swayed back and forth. There were still several people who were just like, I don't know. Uh, So we all went home. We slept on it. We went back. We really needed that second day to deliberate. And ultimately, Mike, the not verdict decision was based on the fact that we could all agree on one thing. We could all agree that there was reasonable doubt.
0: That's all you got to agree on. That was it. That's all you got to agree on. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the system. Yes. It's not you're never going to know anything 100%. Right? right? I don't know if that's a black sweater you're wearing 100%. Right? It might be dark blue. It might be dark blue, it might be a different shade of black, mm-hmm. right? We could different, we could d- agree, disagree. But, you know, you're never going to be 100% on anything. That's why but reasonable doubt is there right. for this particular reason to prevent bad things from happening.
2: Yes, and that's what 12 people agreed on in Julie's case. Now, The flip side of that is I feel like it's got to be really hard for Julie uh, to... She's a free person now, but, I mean, it's got to be difficult to say, okay, well, you know, I was exonerated from this case, but it's not a situation where, like, uh, DNA evidence proved that someone else did this or you're fully vindicated. I would... Think that it would be very challenging to go around emotionally, feeling like there was still a stigma on you, or that some people believe that you could have done that. Uh, being honest, so there were some jury members that really weren't sure, but agreed on reasonable doubt.
0: You said at the beginning, just because she was charged, you thought she was guilty.
2: I admit it, but I will. How also bad say, is that? Everybody well. out
0: there listening and hearing should <laughs> should just because somebody's charged or accused doesn't mean anything.
2: No. But I, I think that the others that also felt that she was guilty kind of came from that same mindset, which, of course, is difficult to change in a person. Yeah, uh, You know, we're all adults. I was in my 30s during the trial. The two of them were 40s, 50s, maybe. I mean, to be able to change someone's way of thinking like that is extremely difficult. But this absolutely changed the way that I think.
0: So, Sarah, if, if, if somebody's listening and they're about to be called for jury duty or they're about to sit on a jury, what, what's your message for them?
2: Hmm. Well, I think that we take a lot of our own biases with us to trials. And I know it's so difficult to put those biases aside because they're things that we live with every day. They may not even be something you perceive as a negative bias, but it is a bias. Uh, when I was listening to Dr. Ham speak, he was so intelligent. He was so knowledgeable. There's nothing wrong with that, but in a way, I felt like it biased me towards his opinion. He was so confident. So if there is a way to kind of search inside yourself and set those biases aside and at least open your mind to the possibility of reasonable doubt to hear both sides of the story I think that's all you really need
0: I think I think that is well said I can only imagine how it felt to hear not guilty the second time I mean tell me tell me how it felt
1: oh I I remember um I was I was absolutely I, I was terrified I was terrified because I I was having flashbacks from the first trial and despite the fact that I had a dream team and, uh, and I had all of this, uh, you know, uh, d- d- supporting evidence and, and testimony favoring me and whatnot, and, uh, and, and finally I was able to share my side of the story and everything, um, I, 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 you just don't know what that verdict is going to be. Obviously, the first time around, I expected it to be not guilty. I mean, I was going to take my nephew to the movies that night. How am I going anywhere? When the not guilty verdict came back, it came back at 9 o'clock in the morning, very early. But I remember I I dressed for jail because it's cold in there. So I made sure I was going to have warm socks. I made sure I was going to have the proper undergarments. I was not going to experience what I experienced the first time going in there, where they take you from everything. So um it be so w- chills
0: just hearing that. That is so sad.
1: So when he so when they said uh not guilty, I remember I I I I had I, I had an audible sigh and I remember just I I I started I started crying. You know, I was just like you when know, it was like just relief, absolute relief. Absolute relief. Wow. And um
0: Did that apology ever come from Eric Smith?
1: No, I never received an apology from anybody except Judge Baronet. After they went into the jury room to talk to the jurors, uh, Baronet came down, and he was still in his robe, and he said, I just want to shake your hand. He said, "Uh, for the past several years, I have not been able to sleep thinking about this case. And he said, and I'm so glad that they finally got it right. And he's—he
2: expressed that to the jury after the trial was over as well. He was very personable with us. He told us he believed we made the right decision. He even took us around into his chambers and showed us around some of his personal wow, items he had in man. the office. What
0: did you think? So, so after that, you guys must have then. We're like, we, I mean, you got to be proud of yourself.
2: Well, I felt validated for sure. And over the years, I've had a few people approach me that say, hey, I saw you on TV. I think that she was innocent. You made the right decision. And that was really powerful to hear, you know, years later. And when the trial was over, Carl Marlinga invited several of the jurors out to lunch to discuss the case. Nobody wanted to go. Nobody wanted to talk to the media, and I'm like, how can you not want to talk about this?
1: Sarah had a spiritual experience too, though.
2: Yes. uh, When I went on that trial, I certainly didn't have any faith in God. That was something that I had lost a long time ago along the way. And going through all of this and seeing all these things unfold and, and getting to know Julie revitalized my faith in a higher power. Definitely, that was something I I didn't have until
0: the trial was was over. That's beautiful. So, so how did you guys hook up? So
2: when Carl invited the jurors out to lunch, I'm like, heck yeah, I want to (laughs) go. I've been holding this in for a month because you're not allowed to talk about it with your family. You can't talk about it. So this is after the trial. This is after a month
0: later. He sent you an email. No, that day, the day oh, that day.
2: Yeah, the day the trial was over, not during the day it was over, and she was found innocent. He invited anyone in the jury out to lunch. He wanted to talk about the trial, and I readily volunteered, and I was very honest with him. I said, Carl, I thought your defense was kind of weak. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some things that you did. I gave him specific examples that I felt really weren't helping your case at all. (laughs) And I said, even though Carl Marlinga is one of those people that I tend to favor because he's intelligent, he's competent, he's competent, I'm drawn to people like that, I still wasn't buying his defense. Wow.
0: And did he laugh or did he uh, take it? He
2: wanted me to be honest. And I, again, gave him several examples of why I felt the defense was weak when he was cross-examining the doctors and things. He kept bringing up childhood stroke and he had presented some articles, just as one example, about strokes. And I specifically remember the doctor looking at the article that Carl Marlingo was presenting saying... This is an article in diabetic men. What does this have to do with a childhood stroke? And I thought, wow, he's really reaching wow. on the stroke
0: thing. So so that day, that lunch was 10 years ago tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yes. October 15th, 2010. Tomorrow's October 15th, 2020. Happy tenure, Happy 10 years of freedom.
1: Thank you. It it has not been easy. I still get that stigma to this day.
0: I can't imagine people still
1: think I abused.
0: (laughs) Have you? Do you have any updates on Philip?
1: No, I have not had any. I had. I have not. uh, During during the um, before the second trial started, I went ahead and uh, and I invited um, outside of the earshot of the jurors. um, It was myself, Carl the prosecutor, and the adoptive mother. We were all in the courtroom. And I, through Carl, I gave her a CD of photos. Because mind you, I was taking pictures of him every day. There was photos that she didn't have of him. So I said, I want to give you, you know, these photos, and I invite you to sit in on the trial, because um, I want you to hear everything. I want you to know everything. And I hope that at the end, when the truth comes out for you to accept that we can form some type of bridge between the two families. Because not only did I lose a son nephew, but my parents lost a grandson, my siblings lost a nephew, my my nephew's and nieces lost a cousin, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can just go down the line. So I said, if maybe we can bridge, have some type of bridge, so maybe during a holiday or a Christmas or like a birthday, we can yeah. you know she do say? something. She just said, let's talk at the end of the trial. The not verdict, the not guilty. Now, every day before the trial started, I would be in my position, she would be in her position, and we would nod to each other. We wouldn't say anything else, but we would always nod to each other, and this was before they would bring the jury in. So the day that the verdict came back not guilty, and I, I, I became emotional, but after I composed myself, I felt like a little kid, like, ooh, like, We won, Mommy. I mean, something weird, like I was just excited, Mm -hmm. and I turned to her like a little kid, like, yeah, we did it. And she just wouldn't look at me. She was looking stone, like just she had a a blank expression, and she was looking straight forward. Uh, After that, she and her husband were let out of the courtroom by ways of the back door. They didn't want to be, you know, bothered by anybody. But in the paper the next day, there was a quote that she had, basically it said, uh, uh, so something to the effect of, um, uh, if Julie's innocent or guilty, uh, nonetheless, it doesn't matter to us. We know that our sweet Benjamin, they renamed him Benjamin, that our sweet Benjamin, you know, is something that, you know, we're going to take him home and, uh, it, it wasn't favorable. It wasn't favorable. It it, it wasn't. So fav- it, I can't remember the exact quote, but I, then I remember confronting Carl Marlingo with that article, and I said, "Hey, I said right in front of you. I thought that we she you know she and I were having a good report. and he said, "Julie, he said you have to understand that from the time that Philip was five weeks on, and they they were fostering, or like five or after he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, so maybe eight or nine weeks on, they were fostering him." And they were all they were being told by medical staff, and and, and and people in the the police and the prosecutor is that this was a child who was abandoned, and, uh, and that and that and that and that the mother was, sus- was suspected of, of, of abusing the child. So this is all that they know. And then, of course, they're going to join their support groups of SBS and blah, blah, blah. So and they don't want to said, give you back the baby. Well, I I had five, I mean... Right? Well, at, think at, about the, it. But if you, if you were he was re- seven years old by that time. He only knew... he At right. five weeks, I, that would be cruel for me to do that, but take that, him from his environment. But I wanted a relationship. I wanted... You know what I'm saying? And it's like she just completely took that away from me. And that haunts me So every there's been day. no
0: run-ins with them since...
2: No, no. No, and I, I do recall what you were saying about her being in the paper and saying something unfavorable. I remember a lot of little articles in newspapers, and I remember some of them not getting the facts quite right. And I remember some of them taking things out of context. So it's so good that you have these dialogues, Mike, because I think really these types of conversations are where you really get down to the bottom of the truth and what really happened. I don't think those newspaper articles no. did Julie any justice and I think that's gotta be true for other people, not just Julie.
0: Are you holding out any hope that after he turns eighteen he might look you up?
1: I don't know that I don't know what his his, what his 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 level of his functioning level is on, on the you know we know nothing I don't know
0: anything so sorry to hear that and how is your sister doing? Um, uh,
1: she's 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 done a three sixty for years. She's been on the straight and narrow, but uh, um, you know there's a, there's a little there's a little tension between us by way of she she's got a lot of guilt because she realizes that she made. A lot of errors where okay. she could have assisted me, you know, before the first trial and even during the first trial. Um, but uh, you know, uh, we're cordial. Everybody's cordial. Everybody's cordial, and you you can't really take things
0: back, <laughs> right? And you know, as people know from our prior podcasts, one of the things that I didn't know as a lawyer until I started doing these type of podcasts and getting to know people like yourself and Kenny and Aaron and others that, and this to me is one of the craziest things in our legal system, is that if you get convicted of a crime and you go to prison and you get out, you're a parolee and you have medical benefits and housing benefits and assistance and getting a job and on and on and on. Right. If you go to prison and they find out you're not guilty if they find out that they wrongfully incarcerated you either by dna or by your type of situation you're a free person but you get nothing right no benefits no you're not a parolee you don't get housing support you don't get money you don't get counseling you get nothing
1: that that's something that we're trying to change
0: well though. let me know how that's going, and let me know if I can help in any way. Because sure. I think that's one of the most inequitable things I've ever heard. I, Kenny's talked to me about it, and others have talked to me about it. Are you familiar with Valerie Newman? Yes, she's, the one, running, she's yeah. the one running. She's the one running integrity. Uh, integrity unit. I Wayne just County. came out
1: with her last evening with a group of exonerees because we're trying to
0: pass some laws.
1: Well, we're trying to get things like ten years ago when I came home, it took twelve acts of Congress to get my ID. There was a gentleman last evening home 12 days and he's still going through, I can't get an ID because I either sense. need a birth certificate or the, they should have already had this 10 right. years later. It,
0: we, it, yes. we we need to fix this system. Absolutely. And, you know, I know there's, I probably have another hundred questions for you. Maybe we'll do this again, but I've kept you well over an hour and a half. Thank you both for being here.
1: Anything to educate the
0: public. I'm so sorry you went through this, Julie, and thank you for sharing the story in such detail Um, I wish you only the best of luck and I hope that, um, I hope that one day you can put this past you, um, because nobody should go through what you went through. Thank you. And Sarah Miller, thank you for doing the right thing on that jury.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: And, um, I really enjoyed hearing your side of things and, uh, thank you both for coming on Open Mic. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for watching Open Mic with Julie Baumer. And we had Sarah Miller, who was the jury foreman on the second trial. Heartbreaking story. Really hard to hear the story. It's another one of those sad uh, breakdown in the systems that as a lawyer, it's just infuriating that that first lawyer uh, didn't get it right, didn't bother to get medical experts. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Subscribe somewhere on this page. Like it. Comment And keep in touch and thanks for watching and supporting Open Mic.